It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Here in the seventh inning, the Yankees are trailing 2 nothing. That is the key man. Hit high in the air to left field. Going to the corner, Yaspinski. It's over the wall. It's a home run for Bucky Dent. Yankees get the lead 3-2. Deep to left, Yastrzemski will not get it, it's a home run! A three-run home run for Bucky Dent, the Yankees now lead it by a score of three to two. Well, the last guy on the ball club, you'd expect to hit a home run, just hit one into the screen, Bucky Dent. Hi there, everyone. I'm Bucky Dent. Welcome to this week's episode of Deep to Left with Bucky Dent. And boy, do we have a great guest coming on this week. I'm telling you what, he is amazing. His personality is electric. And I'm talking about Nick Swisher. And I can't wait to talk to this guy. His personality is so electric. And we also have Yankees Magazine Deputy Editor John Schwartz. How you doing, Bucky? I'm doing great, man, and I can't wait to talk to this guy. He is electric. I know we're 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 a day late on this episode, but I'm telling you, uh, we, we it was worth waiting for Nick Swisher because he's too much fun to have to postpone for another episode. But we're not a dollar short with this guy because I tell you what, um, his personality is so so. I mean, just amazing. So let's get him on and let let's roll, baby, with this guy. Yo, what up, y'all? Yo, what up? yo, Nikki. I can't see everybody. Where is everybody? You know what? I'm getting older. I ain't as pretty as I used to be. So we turned that video thing off. Absolutely, Absolutely <laughs> doubtful on that one right there. For sure. You're like a Cadillac, baby. Only better with age. You know what I'm saying? To put a little chrome on me and I'm okay. <laughs> How you doing, my man? You doing all right? I'm doing great. How about you? What have you been doing with the, yourself with this pandemic stuff? You know what? It's I know it's really kind of affected some people in the worst of ways. I'm I'm totally empathetic to that. But for myself, bro, this has been uh, one of the best times of my life. Like I've been able to be home and be a father and and a husband and not you know getting on a plane every five days. And we've been stuck in one spot, which has been absolutely phenomenal, man. So for me, you know, I've I've really enjoyed this time. It's kind of reset myself a little bit and also kind of made me realize that you know, as hyper as I am, I don't necessarily need to be bouncing around all the time, right? Just really kind of focus on the things that make me happy. And, yeah. and right now, man, that's being with my family for sure. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I have John on with me and John wants to welcome you to Deep to Left also. So uh, what's going on? All right, man. What's up, John? What's happening, baby? How you doing, bro? Oh, bro another day in paradise over here, kid. Come on, man. I got the <laughs> ring lights on, bro. I look about five years younger with all this light. I feel fantastic. Let's go. <laughs> Uh, well, we're going to talk a little bit about your career. We're going to talk about a lot of different things about baseball and your family. 
and your wife's wonderful show that oh, me and my wife great. we are we are hooked on that sweet magnolias and you know I, we kept looking for you you know you didn't have an appearance on there i know right i'm like joe i can't get in there for a guest star role what's going on with that come on i mean <laughs> i mean you were in i was just doing some research you were in a couple other ones how i met your mother i know I mean, i'm like joe i can't I, I can be on one of the the most famous shows ever how i met your mother but i can't get a i can't get a bartender role or something on sweet magnolias what's going on with that but uh, <laughs> you know what's interesting about doing these podcasts is i have to do some research and your birthday is the same as mine november the 25th so happy birthday if i don't see yeah it. man birthday yeah, buddy that's it baby. no wonder we get along as well as we do yeah yeah so here's the thing you you guys must have both grown up then with like thanksgiving birthdays from time to time right oh, yeah like a big a big family party instead of getting to be with your friends it's like oh great yeah i guess like i guess we get to have <laughs> every now and then every now and then we land on turkey day so we get to we get to but celebrate it's like every every seven years i think we pop on there <laughs> but this is you know it's kind of one of those things where you know i mean when you have a thanksgiving birthday you're kind of like wait a minute are they going to roll my birthday into Christmas as in one? Because I think we deserve double the gifts, Buck. I'm not, yep. you know, I don't know about you. I have to be very clear about this. I always make this point, and I really mean this. People don't understand how wonderful Thanksgiving is for Jewish people because our holidays stink. <laughs> and you, you guys have these great holidays. You know, the world is off, everything like that. And we have these holidays where you have to spend the whole time in synagogue and everything, or you don't get to eat. And then it's like, here comes Thanksgiving. Are you and it's kidding like, me? <laughs> yeah. here comes Thanksgiving, and it's for us. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I actually did that. Uh, so uh, our assistant, his uh, his boyfriend uh, is Jewish, and, and he was actually here, uh, uh, what was it, a couple weeks ago. Uh, you know, we had to fast through the whole day. So I'm like, bro, I'm not going to let you do that by yourself, bro. I got you, baby. I'm with you. I'm with you, baby. Totally, man. Totally. Well, my wife's Jewish, so she, I'm, I'm learning about Oh, there she is. Stuff. I was going to say, I know she's there. I, I want to see her pretty face, bro, for sure. But uh, hey, let's let, let's talk about your, your career. And, you know, the, the, the one thing, you know, I, I had never really been a, around you very much until, you know, old timers day. And oh, my God. You, I mean, you... You just kind of livened up the whole crew when you got on the bus every morning. And I used to joke about, you know, uh, hey, what do you take every day? I mean, when you were playing, <laughs> when you were playing, that's important on a team to have somebody that has energy like that. I remember Rex Hudler, and I was talking to John and Al before the show about that. You know, Rex Hudler had the same kind of energy, and, and that's important uh, on a team. And uh, uh, don't you think? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I think if you, uh, if even if you look in today's game, look at the Tampa Bay Rays. Right? They may not be the best team out there, but they enjoy playing together. They bring their juice with them every single day, and I think that's what you have to have. Now, listen, man. You know, you know I, I have aspirations to be a manager someday down the road, and if you gave me the ability to have the best players in the game, all all the players being the best players, I, I might not want that because I feel like being able to win a championship is all about being able to put together a puzzle. Right? You have to have your good players. You have to have your veteran players. You have to have your young players. And you have to have the players that keep the locker room going, right? That bring that energy each and every day. And for myself, it was easy to do that, right? I've had a love and a passion for the game of baseball ever since I was like five or six years old. So for myself to be one of the 750 big leaguers at that moment, right, on the planet, right, to be one of those guys coming from a little small town like I did, I mean, come on, man. I had all sorts of crazy dreams, but now I'm living it. So for myself to be able to come to the ballpark each and every day with a smile on my face, it was easy to do that. 
because I knew that there could be, you know, a, a million people that would switch places with me in a heartbeat. So I understood exactly how fortunate and lucky that I was, but also too, Buck, that was just my personality. I was just one of those guys that enjoyed the game and loved to be at the ballpark. And at old timers day, I mean, come on, man, I, I'm a baseball historian, bro. Like, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a baseball purist. I know the game from front to back and to be able to meet all of you guys in my first year, 2009 on old timers day. And obviously to, to continue to keep the relationships going with people like you uh, who I've met through that amazing day. Uh, it's just been an absolute blast for me, a blessing and something I don't take for granted at all. Well, you talked about, you just mentioned something that I didn't realize. So you have aspirations to wanting to manage someday, huh? Oh, yes, sir. hundred percent. I think I have, uh, uh, the game means too much to me. Uh, I think I have a lot to give back. Uh, and I also think for myself, you know, I, I really relate well to the younger generation. Uh, I don't know whether it's my personality. I don't know whether it's my energy or whatever it is. But for myself, you know, I love being a dad right now. I don't want to manage right now at all. But when my daughters start to move on and they start to get a little older and they start, you know, getting into their own lives, you know, for myself, that's something that I've always wanted to do, right? My father had the chance to manage in the minor leagues, uh, but never had the chance to manage in the big leagues. So for somebody like me to have had somebody in my corner like that for my whole life and to learn, right? We've been doing the World Series watch party for Fox the first five games, and it's been amazing. I've been able to bring on people like Tony La Russa and just like all these amazing people that have all these amazing gifts. And for myself, just to learn from them, to kind of like pick their brains and ask them, what, what is a manager need? Even from players nowadays, I think managers nowadays have to be a little different than they were about, you know, five, 10, 15 years ago. Absolutely. But I think at the end of the day for myself, I think it's all about relationships, communication. And those are two of my strongest suits. Uh, and, you know, maybe one of these days, you know, after, after Booney wins himself a couple World Series and he wants to shut it down, then good old Swish just slides right in there, baby. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Nick, when, when you were coming up and, you know, obviously you, you've always been yourself and, that, and that's part of the, you know, what people love about you. Did you ever wonder, like, am I being taken seriously enough or did these people think that I'm just, you know, all happy-go-lucky, all having fun oh, here? Oh, yeah, bro. Even to today, I still people are like, bro, are, are, is he real? Like, is that him every day? And, you know, to the, to, I don't even know what to say to those people, bro, because it's just like, bro, I know who I am. I love my life. I've been so blessed to have accomplished some amazing things. And I mean, you know, one guy that took me a while to kind of win over was Michael K. When I got to New York, he was like, no way this guy is as hyper as he is. No way this guy is as happy as he is each and every day. But I think if you'd ask Michael K now who Nick Swisher is, he'd be like, yep, that's exactly who he is. So, I don't feel like I have to prove myself to anybody. I just feel like for myself, you choose to wake up in the morning and, and be positive. And for myself, I've been so blessed to be an optimist in life and to be able to wake up every morning with a smile on my face. That's just who I am. And if people don't like that, then hey, so be it, man. Because I feel like for myself, I want to affect people in the right way. And more times than not, Right now and where we are in the world, we need leaders and we need people to stand up and stand for the right things. And I want to be one of those guys. I want to be one of those guys that my daughters can look up to. I want to be one of those guys that, you know, parents can look up to. And I want to be one of those guys that future baseball players can look up to because I've been able to, to accomplish my dreams. I've been able to live my dreams and goals. And that's all I want is for people to be able to do the same thing, regardless of what their job is. I don't know, Buck. Do you think we need to remind Nick that people are kind of struggling and, you know, everyone's unhappy <laughs> I, 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 right John, now? I don't know what to say, man. Believe <laughs> oh, me. No. I know that there are so many people going through some of the worst times of their life right now. I know that. 
But for myself, I want to be one of those people that you can turn to, to be like, wow, how is that guy doing it? And, and don't get me wrong, I've been so blessed to be financially stable and to be able to have been a professional baseball player. But listen, man, like, I'm not, it's not always great days, right? Like, there's a lot of times that you go through tough times. Oh. But like, one thing that my father always told me, and Buck, you, you'll really you know, relate to this, is that we all have the ability to choose. We all have the ability to choose how we react to situations, and we all have the ability to choose how we think. And so for myself, I think of that all the time, and I choose to be positive. I know every day is not going to be great. I get that. I know you're going to go through losses. But for myself, bro, come on, man. I struggled on the biggest stage ever in front of millions and millions of people. Like, how, you know what I'm saying? Like, how for me, I mean, like, bro, I've already done that. I, I, there, I don't know if there's a a whole lot of people out there that can say they've been booed by 50,000 people, but I've already been there. Oh, yeah. It's not fun, you know? It's a shocker, isn't it? I remember the first time I got booed, you know? I mean, uh, especially in New York. I I mean, the first time I ever got booed was I I booted a ground ball. We were getting beat like, I don't know, 15 to 1 or something, and I booted a ground ball, and all of a sudden I started hearing these boos, and I was like, Oh my God, they're booing me. Crap. Is that directed at me? Is <laughs> better, that directed at me? Yeah. I, I better <laughs> I pick this. Say, yeah, you want to go say, high. I know you get booed. Every time you step in the in, in the in the great state of Massachusetts, bro, I know you've been getting booed. <laughs> All the time. You know, I got a I got a big name up there. But you know, even in Chicago, you know, when I started out as a rookie, you know, the those people, as long as you played hard, they were fine. But if you let up a little bit, they were on you. And when you get booed, it kind of kind of wakes you up a little bit, you know. But uh, you know, you were talking about managing. Going through your career, who are some of the guys that you, and, and people ask me that all the time, and I play for a bunch of different managers, is you pick things from them that you like, you know, you didn't like. And, you know, I, I wound up going down and managing in the minor leagues because when I started wanting to manage, you had to have experience. That's kind of gone out the window a little bit yes, where sir. guys now, you know, they don't, they don't basically need to go down and get any kind of experience, but you know, I have an opinion on that, but I mean, who are the guys that you enjoyed playing for and that, you know, you learned a lot from? Yeah. It's funny because like, like, like you, I played for a lot of managers as well. And I think one thing that maybe people might not really, you know, uh, know is that I didn't really get along with a whole lot of my managers. Right. You know, I was one of those guys that when I first came to the Oakland A's, I had, you know, uh, uh, Ken Maka, who was kind of a stickler for the rules. And, and I was kind of all over the place. I mean, we were the Oakland A's, bro. We were all just a, a bunch of young kids. And, you know, me and Ken, we got into it a few times. And then I went to the Chicago White Sox and had Ozzie Ginn. Enough said about that. Right. And then I went there. And then I came to the New York Yankees and ran into Joe Girardi. And, you know, Skip and I, we kind of, you know, we clashed a little bit. But I took a lot of great things away from him. Uh, I think the one thing that I really appreciated a lot from Joe Girardi was the preparation. Right. Because I was one of those guys. I tried to be the first guy in the locker room and the last to leave. And that was kind of always how I like to do it. I was a gym rat. Uh, And whether personalities matched or not, I appreciated the way that he was ready for each and every game. He wasn't one of those managers who just strolled in the locker room and just went about his business. He was one of those guys that was intimately involved in every facet of the game. And I really, really appreciated that. I think the things that I've learning now moving forward, and like you said, you know, managers now don't have to have the experience as much because now analytics have really come into play. And it's not necessarily all about knowing your players. It's really kind of figuring out the algorithm of, of who plays that day. So for myself, the one thing that I'm learning is relationships are crucial. 
I think if you want to be a coach in today's game or a manager or a leader, you also have to be a psychiatrist. Absolutely. You also have to be able to be a shrink. And you also have to find the best way to get the best out of your players. I think that's the one thing that I wish that my managers in the past would have known a little bit more about me was how to get the best out of me, right? I'm one of those guys that if you give me a hug, I'll run through a brick wall for you. I don't need you to yell at me. I don't need you to call me out in front of people. I don't need any of that. I'm at the ballpark every day to give everything that I got. But in life, I'm that type of guy, you know, like if, if you give me a hug or like, like Buck, for prime example, the way that you treated me from the first moment that I met you, I'll, I'll love you forever because oh, that's well, just the type you. of guy that I am. So to be able to learn these things and to have that communication and the overall relationships at the top of my food chain when it comes to some of my skills uh, you know, those are the things that I want to take into being a manager, right? You know, let the players play and do your best to stay out of the way, but be that guy behind the scenes that's talking to guys, right? Because, Buck, how many times you go to the ballpark and, you know, as a fan, I'm just expecting you to go out and get four hits, right? I, you know, as a fan, I didn't know if you got in a fight with your wife or somebody passed away in your life or you're going through a difficult time with your kids or whatever. Nobody understands that stuff other than the players. So for myself to have been a player and to hopefully get that opportunity to manage one day, then I can take those skills and pass those on to the next generation. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, back when I started managing, Dick Hauser was, was a big influence. Oh, yeah, of course. And, and when, uh, when I started managing, he's the one that really talked me into managing when I decided to retire. And he told me a, a couple important things. He says, go down there. He says, learn your players, learn to deal with the game because the game's going to be fast and it gets faster, higher up you go and learn to, to deal with the press, learn to talk to the press. And so, you know, back then, you know, you had to have some kind of experience before you could go to the big leagues. And, and I'm, I'm kind of glad I did it that way, you know, because what I did learn is like the first day in, in camp, when you walk out there and you got 34 guys and they're looking at you and you're going, Oh boy. What am I supposed I, to say? I'm the manager now. <laughs> exactly. I, you know, I was, I, I taught my whole year at my school, you know, my whole life. I mean, at my school, but now I'm in charge of everybody. And when an outfielder comes up and asks me a question, I can't go, well, I don't know it. Or if a pitcher, you know, so I had to learn the whole part of the game. And I had some great pitching coaches and I had some good coaches, you know, that helped me along. And what I learned is, boy, the game. I remember my first game I managed in, in Miami with, and Mike Torres was pitching against me. Uh -huh. And I'm standing there, and the game's going along, gets to the seventh inning, and Bill Mamouquet was my pitching coach, and he goes, hey, you want to get somebody up? And I looked at him, and I went, oh, yeah, we better get somebody <laughs> yeah. up. You know? and, but, you know, I, I, you, you learn as you go along, you know, and you're talking about the different personalities of managers. You know, when I came up, I – I didn't want the manager. When the manager started walking towards me, I go, "Uh oh, what did I do wrong?" Yeah, you know, me too, bro. You know, I was like, "Uh oh, I'm going." What did I do wrong now? You know, again. and I just wanted to be put in the lineup, let me play, and you know, don't bother me. You know, but it, it's totally different now. You know, and and I learned that as you said, you know, going along to be a manager, you got to talk to guys. You know, and they go in the, in in the slumps, and you know, and this and that and the other. So let me ask you another question: What you're doing now as being an advisor with the Yankees? Do you think that that's also a big part of helping you, like great players? Oh, but huge, 100%, because it's given me an opportunity to learn from the best. It's giving me an upfront, you know, first-class seat to watch how a guy like Brian Cashman goes about his business every day, right? To watch how somebody like Aaron Boone goes about his business every day. Uh, for myself, you know, I, I kind of want to go back to the, the managing thing. I think a lot of it has to do with the people you surround yourself with. 
Mm -hmm. uh, for myself. I've got a stable full of guys in my mind that I would want right there next to me. I got the chance to interview uh, Tony LaRusso the other night on the watch party, and he gave Dave Duncan so much credit to winning those World Series that he was a part of because he said, if I didn't have Dunk right there to handle that pitching staff, then I didn't know how to do it. And, and I think, you know, moving forward as a manager, for myself, I think that would be the most difficult part of the job is learning how to handle your bullpen, right? Absolutely. Understanding, you know, like, like what guys are fresh. But I think that's where the communication factor comes in, bro. Like, I want to be the guy that walks around the field and talks to my guys like, hey, Buck, how you feeling today, right? You know, you feel, you feel good, right? You know, and, and then go to the next guy and the next guy and then really get a good feel for exactly how that team feels that day. Because, I mean, you're seeing it in the World Series right now. Can you imagine what was going on in the Los Angeles locker room after that double air that ended the game the other night? I mean, what do you do as a manager to try and stop the bleeding like right then and there? You know, I think that you have to have the right leaders in the locker room player-wise, but I also think you have to have positive, energetic coaches on your staff. Mick Kelleher is a guy that really kind of stands out to me. Ron Washington is another. Kevin Long, who was our hitting coach in 09 through, you know, maybe 10 or 11, was somebody that really kind of stands out to me. So for guys like that, I, I would want to do my best to bring as much energy as I could through the coaching staff to the players, because if my coaching staff had the energy, it's infectious. Right. It can feed off on guys, and it can definitely help in a 162-game season, no doubt. I totally agree. Kevin Long was my hitting coach in Kansas City uh, in, when I man went back to managing AAA, and I brought him over to New York, and he, he is a phenomenal young hitting coach. And I, I thought yes. he should have been in the big leagues, and he wound up being, and he's had, he's had a great career. But I totally agree, and, and I, I, I think that – if you become a big league manager, they have to give you the ability to pick your own coaches. You know, I, I think there's three things that your coaches have to have. Knowledge, work ethic, and loyalty. Not yes. necessarily in all those, but they have to have those things for a guy to be a big league coach. And you have to be able to bring your coaches with you that you're comfortable with and, and you want to go to war with. I mean, look, it, 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 your rear end's on the line every day and you have to have people that are in that, you know, on that staff that are going to back you all the time. I learned a lot just from asking questions from different guys. You know, it was unfortunate I never got an opportunity to ever manage in the big leagues again, you know, when I got fired, but I became a coach for a long time. And I learned, a, I learned a lot of different things from talking to different guys. And I think that's important. Yeah, 100%. I feel like I'm, you know, I'm the type of guy I feel like one of my gifts is, is being able to look inside of somebody, right? Because I, I think that if I can look you in the eyes and I ask you a question and you give me the answer, I feel like I can tell if you're faking it or not. You know, I feel like sometimes you have to just be able to know exactly how somebody's feeling. I mean, look at what's going on in the World Series now. Dave Roberts is having a heck of a time trying to shut games down with Kenley Jansen. But at the end of the day, I mean, he ended up bringing in uh, Blake Trinan to shut the game down last night, and they ended up getting the job done. Now, I've always tried to do my best as a player to keep a harmonious locker room, right? Mm -hmm. It's not always like that, but I was kind of one of those guys. I've got an infectious personality, and nine times out of ten, I'm the loudest guy in there. So you definitely know what I'm saying when I'm talking, you know? So to be able to have had these experiences and to have won and to have, you know, to be called a champion, uh, those are some of the things that I'll always take with me. And for an organization like the New York Yankees, they pretty much gave me everything that I have. I mean, New York turned me into a star and gave me this opportunity. So I want to do my best to try and give back. And that's why when Brian Cashman called me and asked me to be back, to come back to the organization, bro, that was like the easiest decision of my life, bro. I was like, you don't even got to twist my arm. I mean, I'm there, whatever you need me to do, because an organization like that, I will never forget that. 
It's right. like they're like family. Everybody that I've met from, you know, from, from you to, you know, Lee Mazzilli to Ron Guidry, right, to, to, the, to the whole generation of all these guys that played before. I mean, I, I've been so blessed to have had this amazing run. And, and, and at some point to be able to give back would be an honor, 100%. So, Nick, one of the things that uh, makes the Yankees clubhouse right now special, I think, is there's a lot of different personalities in there. And I mean, a lot of guys who bring different things and, you know, you wonder who's going to be back, who's not going to be back. But one thing that really stuck out at me this year and one thing that we've talked about a lot in the past, you and me, was Clint Frazier and yeah. the way that he played great defense and he was great with the bat and everything like that. But there was just such a maturity, I felt, to the way he composed himself and held himself at all the times. And obviously, it wasn't always easy with Clinton in that regard. And, you know, one of the times I spoke to you about him, and I kind of, to be honest, and maybe give you a little too much of the how the sausage is made, I came to you thinking you were going to be the guy who 100% more than anything defended him and said, you know, let the kids play and everything like that. And and, and you kind of came out and said, like, when you're young, there's still a way that you got to kind of, you know, hold yourself oh, yeah. and, and do the stuff. I wonder, as you watched him this year and you saw the way it all came together, in a sense, how much you felt like you were watching just like a kid just mature all around, not just as a fielder, not just as a batter, but just a, an all around person coming together as, as a human being, yeah. right? Just overall as a human being. And you got to remember, I was there the, the day Clint got drafted because he was our first round draft pick with the Cleveland Indians when I was there. And when he showed up, we all got the Ronald McDonald wigs, right? The whole nine. We gave him like one of the greatest intros, right? And, and, and he came up and, you know, he had this brash personality. And, and I remember when he came to New York and he kept running into trouble, right? He kept getting in trouble and, and, and people were kind of, you know, uh, a little upset how he acted. And I always tried to tell him, Clint, if there's anybody in this locker room, homie, that understands you, it's me. Right. I was the same exact guy as you were. Right. I was the type of guy that lived a little outside my umbrella. And believe me, I had the veteran guys to pull me right back in. I think that was the leadership that I was able to be to, to be had from guys like Mark Kotze or Jason Kendall or Frank Thomas or Mike Piazza. Right. Like these guys wrangled me in. And as much as I maybe didn't like it as a rookie because I felt like they were coming down on me as I became a veteran, I was like, oh, that's why that that's why those guys were doing that to me. And then I was able to be the veteran. So now for Clint, I mean, come on, he's on the gold glove watch list this year. So for him to make these step ups and to really kind of like bust that door down, I appreciate that as much. Now, the thing that I really also appreciate about Clint is he's genuine and he is himself and he will always be himself because that's the only person he knows how to be like. And you know what, bro? I'm cool with that. I always told him, I said, bro, you can be exactly who you want to be. But remember, you play for the New York Yankees. You don't play for the Cleveland Indians anymore. There is an umbrella of how you are supposed to act as a New York Yankee. You can't go too far out. You know, George Steinbrenner brought that up. The players brought that up. The tradition, the passion, the pride that goes into the pinstripes. You have to understand where you are. Have a feel of the team that you're on and what is expected of you. And now I think Clint is really getting that. Now, maybe the success is, has, has afforded him that. Or, you know, overall, he's just kind of growing and he's growing on a lot of the veterans in that locker room because Cliff Frazier, I mean, that, that, that's, that's a once in a lifetime type talent. So to be able to find the, the best way to get the most out of him, you know, uh, for me, this year was great watching him do that, uh, even in a shortened season, because for me, this year meant so much more to me as, a, as, as an ex-player, because not only did you have to be ready for spring training, then you took that long layoff, had to stay in shape and then be ready for summer camp as well as the season. 
And come on, man, we've seen Clint in the weight room. We've seen his Instagram account. The kid is an absolute monster in the weight room. He loves it. And for him to have the success that he did this year, could not be more proud of him because I think he's only going to continue to keep elevating his game offensively and defensively. Let me ask you a question. When you go to spring training and you're down there with them and you go on the field, do they come up and ask you questions? Do they, you know, do you talk to them about, you know, their defense? Do you, you know, are, are they receptive to you? Yeah, 100%. I think you got to remember, you know, I mean, when I was still trying to make my comeback back in 2016 in AAA, that was where all the baby bombers were, right? So for me, I developed this amazing relationships with all these young players that are still there today. You know, guys like Aaron Judge, guys like, you know, Gary Sanchez, even, you know, Glaber Torres came a couple years after that. But the one thing that I really realized is, you know, sometimes guys have the have all the answers and sometimes you, you, you can't kind of hone in on exactly what they're doing. But for myself this year, I had more of the opportunity of being on the minor league side this year during spring training. And all of a sudden I'm walking around and I'm like, man, I am influential over here, bro. Like I am helping these guys out, right? <laughs> I'm like, damn, this feels good, you know? Yeah. So to be able to kind of go over there and, and, and remember, I've, I've been able to, you know, share relationships with guys like Yogi Berra and, and, and Ron mm -hmm. Guidry and, you know, RIP to Yogi. But I remember him saying kind of towards the end that he just didn't feel as important as he used to. And for mm -hmm. myself, that really hurt my heart because, it, I mean, the guy's got 10 rings, I mean, nobody else in, in, in baseball has that many rings. So to be able to utilize the knowledge that he had, and the thing that I really appreciated most about Yogi was how simple it was. It wasn't a hard thing. It was just a, hey, hey, Nikki, you need to scoot up in the box a little, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I did. I screwed up in the box about three inches. In 2010, I had the best career, best, best season of my career. Yeah. So I, for, for, for people that don't want to listen to guys like that, I think for me, that's a mistake. Because you will always be better if you can learn from people that were better than you. Because who knows what's happening down the road? That's why I started working with my new company, Prospect Dugout, which is you know, our, our amateur site for youth baseball players to promote themselves. And for me to be able to meet all these young kids, 15, 16, 17 years old, by the time I'm managing, maybe five years down the road, these cats might be playing for me. So I think it's all about having those relationships, all about learning about who these guys are and what they stand for. And also, Buck, finding out what makes these guys tick. You can't cookie cut guys, just no. like hitting. We can't all teach launch angle. That's not the best thing for everybody. So we really need to do our best to look inside at the player and find out exactly what gets him motivated and what gets the best out of him. Because for me, I would have loved for a manager to sit me down and say, hey, Swish, you know, I'm just now getting to know you right now and you got a big personality. How do I get the best out of you? Mm -hmm. And I would have been like, oh, bro, no one's ever asked me that. Well, hey, here's step one, step two, step three, right? Just kind of roll it on down there, right? So then all of a sudden, it, it, if, if problems did come about and that 0 for 10 stretch came to play, then all of a sudden they would know exactly how to deal with the problem. So for me, I think being a manager is also being a problem solver. So I got to tell you guys, it might, it might surprise you guys both to hear that I actually never played Major League Baseball. Uh, I don't know if you know that. Um, <laughs> no, John, but, but one thing that <laughs> I believe it, I'm telling you. One thing that I did do is uh, work at a college newspaper at the University of Michigan, go blue. Sorry, Nick. Um, and <laughs> and one thing is, so maybe this sounds a little familiar to you. You know, we would sit there, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21 years old thinking, you know, we run the world. We know everything. And, you know, you're working this crazy late night. And, you know, that on the other end of this is a lot of beer and maybe not going to class the next day. All the time, all the time, no matter what, you would have these people rolling through, you know, coming back to visit the campus and they're like taking their kids or their wives and they're like coming into the building and showing and they're like trying to talk to us and ask us questions. And all of us are sitting there like, 
hey, old man, like, I'm busy. Like, I, I don't have time to talk to you, like, whatever. And, and then, like, the minute you graduate, you come back for the first time and you're, like, walking to that building and you're like, why are these people not taking me seriously? Don't they know I just did this? Like, and you're just like, oh, right, because I didn't take you seriously once when you were rolling through here. Well, I think, I think, I think Buck can, can, can attest to this for sure is from the moment you retire from playing professional baseball, all you're doing is trying to find ways to get back in it. Mm-hmm. Right. You're just trying to find a way to be to become part of it, because when I retired, I had a humongous hole right in the middle of my chest because I'm such a routine based guy. Listen, man, when I retired, I went down. Right. Like I've, I, I'm a very happy person, but I was not happy for those first couple months after I retired. I gained 15 pounds. I if if I ever experienced depression, it was definitely then. And I was lucky that I had amazing people in my life, like my wife, Joanna, to be like, Nick, you have more in there to give. You are not, baseball doesn't define who you are. It was just something that you did. And so for myself to be able to have those people in my corner definitely helped me. But at the end of it, you're right. Sometimes people don't always take you, take you seriously when you come back. And by the way, that's okay, because it's not all about helping everybody. It's about finding those few people that need your help. And if you affect one person in the positive way, then you're doing your job. You're right. You know, like when I, the, I, I was lucky though, because I, I had my baseball school that I had taught for 30 something years. And, and when I retired, I went right into managing an A ball with the Yankees. And so, yeah. you know, it became a responsibility. So like you say, all those things enter your mind now, because now I get a chance to mold people as Yankees. And I think that that's so important. One of the big things that I believe is you got to teach people how to win and you got to teach people, you know, what it is to be, to be a Yankee. You know, like when you first put those Yankee pinstripes on, I was a kid that dreamed about playing in New York. Mantle was my hero. And the first day I walked in and put those stripes on, it was a different feeling. You know, oh, bro, the jersey just fit a little better. You know what I mean? It oh, like that NY there. on your chest, you know, and all the ghosts flying around, you know, with the guys, you know, that had played yeah. there before. I mean, it was just n- nothing against playing in Chicago because Chicago is a great city and I love playing there. But there was just something different, like you say, when you put those Yankee pinstripes on. But the guys that I played with, you know, back in, in the 70s, they made you understand that. When, you know, they, they said, you know, you can do whatever you want, but when you go between those lines, you better be ready to play because you're messing with our money. And I started to understand that. And, you know, when I retired, I tried to make guys understand that about playing in New York. You know, it's different when you go up there. You better be ready to play because sometimes you don't get a second chance there because the boss was hard. You know, yes, sir. you know, yes, you sir. go up there and you screw up, get them out of here. You know, I mean, it wasn't as much patience as they have today. So you learn. I tried to teach them to do it a certain way that when they were ready. So you understand that also because you put those stripes on. And when you walked in that clubhouse, it was a different feeling. And you knew right away that you had a chance to win. Yeah, 100 percent. I think that I heard a quote the other day. Uh, from somebody says those pinstripes are a little heavier than all those other ones, mm-hmm. right? The stripes are a little heavier when you put them on and it takes a special player to be able to play in New York city. And the one thing that I really appreciate about it most of all, and that's only because I came to New York, my career elevated the fans, the atmosphere, the passion, the pride, the tradition, right? I wanted to win, right? I've always been a winner and the Yankees are a winning franchise and that's right in line with my DNA. That's exactly what I want to be. Like you're saying, Buck, there's only one way and it's the Yankee way. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what we need to teach these young kids to understand 
that it's not all about the, it's not the back of the jersey that you play for. It's the front of the jersey. Right. And, and, and I think for myself, I was able to learn from those guys as well. I mean, obviously, you had some tremendous legends on those teams in the 70s. And in my mind, I had those legends as well. Mariano Rivera, Derek Jeter, Jorge Posada, Andy Pettit, right? Like, these guys didn't have to say a single word. And you knew exactly what was expected of you. So I think for myself, being able to come over there and learn that way, and believe me, I had four great years in Oakland. I had some years in Cleveland, right? I've played for other great franchises, but nothing against them. There's no franchise on the planet that can even match what the New York Yankees do. Now, I know it's been a couple years since we've won, maybe a decade or so, but that's okay because we're going to continue to keep pushing. We're going to continue to keep being the pinstripes. We're going to stand for the right things, and we're going to keep doing things the way that we know how, and that's the Yankee way. So like you're saying, I mean, for young kids out there, I mean, everybody dreams about playing for the New York Yankees, whether you like them or you don't. Talking about the Yankees, you know, they haven't won now going on 11 years. They're close. They're so close. What do you see that if you had to make suggestions, what, did, what do you see that they're going to need for next year to finally get over the hump? Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you, you feel like we've put one of the greatest teams, you know, out, out, you know, every single year. I feel like every year comes spring training, Vegas odds, Yankees are in the top three to win the World Series, right? So if that's the case and the talent is there, then what do we need to get ourselves over the hump? Right? These are the conversations that I have with Brian Cashman, you know, Chad Bowling, who's, you know, head of mental strength and conditioning, right? Like all these guys, because I want to learn from them. I want to pick their brains. Like, hey, what do you think we need? And I mean, I think we have the team to make it happen. I just think October hasn't exactly been the best of months for us lately. We've had a lot of injuries and, and, and you know, we need some timely hitting here or there. But I think if there was one piece of advice that I would give somebody like a Brian Cashman or a Hal Steinbrenner's, you need to bring in some personalities. Mm -hmm. You need to bring in some personalities in that locker room. It's not all about having the best players. I right. truly believe that. I truly believe it's all about putting together a puzzle like we talked about earlier. And I think that if you bring in personalities, I mean, look what the Los Angeles Dodgers did when Kirk Gibson came over, right. right? Just completely changed the entire organization. So I think for myself, I would think more about personalities tying in the team rather than bringing another piece or a skill because I think our skills that we have as a team are off the chart. I just think there is one thing that we can do to get over the hump. And I think that maybe a personality, maybe somebody who's been part of it for a while that brings that fire, right? That, that shows up to the ballpark every day with their hair on, on fire. I think that that could really help this squad moving forward because look at who we got as our leaders. We've got guys like Aaron Judge, right? Kind of a quiet guy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, when I was there, we had, you know, Jeter was a quiet guy, but he wasn't quiet on the field. Right. So to be able to have like guys like CC Sabathia and AJ Burnett and myself, those were personalities, right? Those were personalities that came into that locker room and really conformed it into what we have now. Because Buck, when I first showed up there, bro, in 09 spring training, there was no music. Everybody had their headphones on, mm -hmm. right? It was like, nobody was talking to each other. It was like, felt like everyone was like so stuffy in there. And I'm like, bro, what is going on in here, man? Johnny David, bro, I need that karaoke machine because I'm about to play some jams up in here. And there you there, go. There you go. Really just really open things up a little bit because I think the greatest thing you can tell a player is that we want you for you. Right. Be you. And right. for me, when I came over there, I had one of the worst years of my career in Chicago the year before. But Brian Cashman says, we have faith in you. We know you're going to turn it around. We know you're a great player. And for somebody like me, bro, I'm like, 
this, bro, I will kill for you, Cash. I will do anything you need me to do because I, I think that's what you need in life. You need somebody behind you. I even take that into what I do with my daughters. Listen, all I'm trying to do is let my daughters know that daddy's there for you, right? I want to give them confidence. I want them to be strong and tough, but I also want them to be themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that's exactly what you need players nowadays to do. Whether the bat flips or the whole nine, believe me, I know the game's completely different. But by the way, let the players be who they want to be, right? Don't show anybody up. But if you feel like flipping the bat, then go flip the bat, baby. If that's who you want to be, then be you. The question I have, though, as someone who didn't, you know, like I said, play at this level, you have, on the one hand, you have Aaron Boone and even to some degree, Brian Cashman, who says, you know, af after the season ended, look, we were really close and and they were, they were really close. They were in the eighth inning of a do or die game. They're really, really close. <laughs> one game away from going to the ALCS, right. right? And they were really, really close in 2017 and they were really, really close last year. I mean, all, all these things. A and I think that that's a correct reading of the situation. And on the flip side of that, you have Aaron Judge who says, it's a failure. Everything's a failure. Uh, we lost. It was a failure. And I wonder, first, I wonder if Judge is taking the wrong lesson from the series, maybe, or if that's what you need in order to reach that next level, in a sense. That, yeah, Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman are supposed to have different perspectives on what happened than the players are, but that doesn't make either one of them wrong for having different opinions about the lessons of 2020. Well, l losing, losing is not fun. And yeah, you know, it's it, it, you in New York, your goal is to, is to win a world championship. But going back to what Nick said, you have to have those kind of personalities that don't accept losing. You know, like in the 70s, we had fire. You know, we had Pinella. We had Munson. You know, Pinella was a fire guy. I mean, he, he was a fiery guy. And later on, when they brought Paul O'Neill over, go over there and beat the water cooler up, you know, and, and, and just had fire and passion, you know. And the guys that you know, back in the seventies and you played with a, a group in 2009 that had that same to win a championship. They didn't accept losing. They, you know, they got beaten 76. I came in 77, but we had guys like Jackson and Munson and Pinella, and we had quiet guys like Willie Randolph and Roy White and Chris Chambliss. Myself, I was a quiet guy, but those other guys, they made you play and if you did something wrong, the manager didn't have to say anything to you back then. You they policed would. your own locker room. They would walk over and say, hey, what are you doing? You know, wake up. And you got it. You, you got it. And I'm sure you had those same guys as what you're talking about in the locker room. You need some fire, you know, some guys that just aren't going to accept losing. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I think if you even if you look at uh, everybody's kind of end of the season uh, interviews, right, which mm -hmm. I, I always – those are always the hardest interviews to do, I'm sure, because you're like, bro, we just lost. Like, what do you want me to say? Like – but like you're saying, I really appreciated Aaron Boone's outlook on it because it's the optimistic outlook, right? It's not the negative outlook, but I understand Aaron Judge as well because I've always been that guy that, by the way, do you know how hard it is to get the expectations to a level of winning a World Series or bust, right? And that's the New York Yankees, right? Like there's only one team that is expected to win the World Series each and every year, and that's the New York Yankees, right? So mm -hmm. I understand exactly where both sides are coming from, Right. You know, you hear Cash and, and, and Boone were kind of optimistic. But then on the other side, you got Hal Steinbrenner that says, you know, we weren't even close. So I think that when you look at that, I think we've got a great uh, uh, I love it when people kind of uh, are a little different than each other, because if you have 
everybody doing the same thing, then, then you're not getting any, you know, you're not having any conversations about anything. So for me, I appreciate exactly where the boss is, you know, and how, because he is, he's turning into his dad. And that's awesome because guess what happened when his daddy was there? They won, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's what it is. And I think how is so into it now, which is amazing. And to be able to have guys like Aaron Boone, who's kind of a calm, cool, collected guy. Like, I really appreciate that. Now, Derek Jeter, bro, he lived his life like this, right? Just like oh, on a straight line, bro. I was like this, you know what I'm saying? Like emotions, bro, like all over the place. But I think that maybe you do need a little fire. I think, you know, I've, I was watching the World Series game last night, and it kind of comes to mind is, you know, when Dave Roberts, after that double air that ended game four, you know, it's like he's, he's kind of getting ready to throw his hat and the whole nine, and you don't really see a manager doing that. But for, from a perspective of mine, I love that. Because you know what that, that means to me? That means something to Dave Roberts. That means he cares in that moment right there. What are you supposed to do? Baseball is a passionate, fiery, emotional game. So if you can't show emotions, then I don't know, man. I feel like it's a lot easier. Just, you know, I mean, we're not robots out there. We're human beings. Right. But, you know, like we used to go in the tunnel. I mean, Lou Pinnell used to go in there and beat all the lights out. I mean, cool, you know, bro, just bash, uh, them, just all for bash sure. them all. And, you know, uh, Roy White used to beat up the water coolers, you know, because he was a Kung Fu guy, you know, he used to go over there and just kick the water coolers, you know, and, and, and stuff. But uh, yeah, you, you, you got to have, you got to have that fire and uh, uh, you know, you know, managers, I mean, that you played for, you know, I mean, you, you talk to a guy like Tony La Russa, you know, you had that certain personality in the dugout, you know, that, uh, that made thinks Billy Martin. Billy Martin was a fiery guy, you know, even yeah, though he totally. wasn't one of my favorite guys, he he was a, you know, he had fire and, and passion of, uh, about winning, you know, he'd pull bats out of the rack and, and do all kinds of different things. But, you know, there, the, the other thing, you know, the other thing though, is like you, you know, you played in the World Series in 2009. I played in 77, 78, lost in 80, which was a bad feeling because we won 103. 81, I didn't, I missed because I was hurt. We lost to the Dodgers. And you know what? Never got a chance to go back. So, you know, you, you build teams and you put them together and then time's ticking away, you know. And fortunately enough, a lot of these guys are playing in New York where they're not they, – they got a chance to win every year because they're going to do whatever they have to to put those kind of guys on the field. Oh, and you've got to be very and, – and you had to feel it when you came over. It's funny you talked about, you know, like how you never had the chance to go back again. And I'm even thinking for myself, my – first year in New York won a World Series. I'm like, bro, we're going to win a hundred of these things, right? <laughs> yeah. We're going to win every year. And so now it's even like when I have conversations with a guy like Brett Gardner, who was has been there since 2009, yeah. but has never gotten back. And it's funny because we took it so for granted. 2009, we were just like, bro, this is going to happen every single year. Team hasn't even been back since 2009. So that just goes to show you how many things have to happen right for your team all season long, whether it's injuries, timely hitting, maybe an error here or there, but there's so many things that have to happen to win a World Series. Luck has to be on your side as well. Well, I, t I tell you, you know, like even after 81, I never got a chance to go back as a player. Then I started coaching and I got to Texas and we put together probably three of the best teams that you ever want to see. But guess what? We ran into the Yankees, 96, 98, 99, and we could not 
get by them. You know, uh, that's when their dynasty started, you know, and, and as a coach, I'm going, holy cow, I could have been like Yogi. I, I know, right? A bunch of rings on my fingers other than ones <laughs> I played, you know, I want to go back again. I know, it, but it, I only got one of those things, bro, yeah, you know? Yeah, I, I was fortunate to have two and I really wanted more. And some of these guys have got, you know, like Yogi had 10 and Willie's got, I don't know, six or seven, you know, and you, it doesn't matter. You want to go back where you're player, coach, manager, you want to get there. And uh, uh, it's it, it's an unbelievable feeling when you do win. Yeah, I'm even thinking of a team like the Cleveland Indians right now, you know, back when they went to the World Series, uh, what was that, uh, 16 or 17. And, you know, it's all of a sudden you just think like, you know, this team is set up. They got all the pitching. They've got all these young players, right? They're knocking on the door. Maybe that door's closed for the Cleveland Indians. Maybe three years later, it's all of a sudden it's closed. So you have to take full advantage of the opportunity that you're given because, like we just talked about, you can't take those things for granted because you never know when they're going to come up again. Well, Nick, I tell you what, thanks for coming on. You have been amazing, and you're one of my all-time favorites. When I met you at the Old Timers you know, a couple years ago, I was like, oh, my God, this guy is amazing. I mean, he would have fit right in on our teams with, with all those crazy guys that I played with, you know. But I'm telling you what, you have been amazing, and I, I just want to thank you for coming on and, and sharing. And, and, you know, hopefully one day I'll be whistling at you from the stands going, hey, you're managing now. You told oh, me hell yeah, welcome to have there, you in that locker room, go, bro. Baby. Have you in that locker room. I'll be you right there. As long as I can walk, I'll be there, pal. Yes, sir, man. Hey, but I appreciate you, my man. Thank you so much for having me on, bro. You are, in my mind, uh, a legend of the game. Well, thank uh, you. I think as good of a player as you are, you're you're even that much better of a human being, and I appreciate that so much. You and your wife have been nothing but the greatest and the most kind people to me, and I cannot thank you enough for that because when you come over to the New York Yankees, it is definitely uh, – it's a little scary at times because you don't exactly know what to think. But when you meet people like yourself, Buck, you make it a lot easier, man. So I really thank you for that, man. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very much. And and, and tell your lovely wife we love her show. Well, season two, baby. We're leaving in March to go to Atlanta to start filming again, bro. Atlanta. Oh, my yeah. God. You're close yeah, so by. Maybe, maybe I can get a guest spot. Maybe she'll throw me in there one episode. Throw me in there as an old man, too. I've been in three movies, so. <laughs> <laughs> and you got your sad card. I know you do. I do. I do. <laughs> well, listen, pal. You take care. And, and God bless you. And thanks for coming on, man. Yes, sir. Love you, Buck. Thank Talk you, Talk to buddy. you later, brother. Nick, cheer up, man. It's going to be okay, okay? Don't, don't you worry. <laughs> We're going to get through this, We're gonna y'all. We're going to get through it. <laughs> Thanks so much. Wow. So much energy. This guy, <laughs> first time I met him, love his fire. I love his energy. Uh, he's fun talking to. And I, I learned a lot of things from him because I didn't really know he wanted to be a manager. You know, I thought that, you know, uh, you know, being an advisor, you know, a lot of guys, you know, they want to go upstairs and, you know, be behind the scenes and stuff like that. He wants to be on the front line. And I think, I think one day he's going to be a, a, an outstanding manager. I would never have guessed that when I knew him years ago, if that was something he would want. I, I thought that he'd be doing kind of like we were joking about almost like, like what his wife is doing right now. I thought he would just be a TV guy forever. The thing the thing about Nick, and I, and I, I think this really came through there. I think I think you have a tendency to assume kind of that it's not real sometimes when you see someone who's that happy and that wild and that engaged. And and maybe I'm being cynical. I don't know. You can tell. You, you can call me out, and if you want, or he can call me out. But then, like, you spent a couple times with him, and you just realize, like, oh wait, no, that that's the most like authentic person out there somehow. <laughs> like, far be it for anyone to call him phony. Like, this is the truest personality you've ever seen. Right. You know, I, I think too when you go through, you know, certain 
challenges in your life when you're young, you know, and, and, uh, uh, you learn to, you know, to be that, you know, you learn to, to understand what it's all about and you go through those ups and downs and he's been through ups and downs like all of us, but he just has that passion and that fire. He loves the game. Um, he loves people. He loves, you know, the players and, and, you know, yeah, you, you wonder, you go, geez, oh Pete, I mean, is this guy like this every day? And he is. And, and that's just him. And, uh, I, I, I just love him. I love his energy and, and I, and I love his passion and I love, uh, you know, with with what he's talking about, uh, uh, possibly being a manager someday, I, I I think he's going to be a good one. But you know what? It's also it's also one of the things I love about this team in general because you have the Yankees, and and right away, okay, so you think of you know Monument Park, and you think of those numbers that are retired there, those plaques in the walls, the big monuments, Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, things like that, and. I, I mean, I, I assume it's obvious. I mean, no knock on him when I say that, you know, he's not that player. And, you know, they didn't retire his number. They didn't put a plaque on the wall for him. And I'll say the same to you, Bucky. You know, you have this incredible story and this incredible life as a Yankee. But, you know, that 20 on there, it's not your 20. It's Jorge Posada's 20. Right. But the thing about being the Yankees is it's not just as much as we like to tell ourselves that it's just the World Series and that it's just, you know, these things. It's not that everyone who comes through here you know, brings their personality and comes out with their stories. And Nick Swisher is a guy who, wherever he goes in the game from here, he's going to have, certainly he's going to have the 2009 World Series, but he's also going to have the effect that he had on Yankees fans and Yankees players and the memories that people have of just crazy Nick Swisher running around there and screaming and things like that. And I think that's special. I think that's lost sometimes when we think that the Yankees are only about the bottom line and only about, you know, those numbers on the wall back there. But you know what? The one thing about him, he did it. He, he did he play, it. He You're right. It. He he worked his way up. He became became a world champion, and he's working for the Yankees. And he has input, and he can make a difference in a lot of those players just with his knowledge by them going to him and talking to him, and him giving the, his life experiences and uh, the ups and downs, the day in, you know. Because like he said, zero for ten, you know, zero for thirty, zero for thirty four, you know, you you've been there. You can you can tell a player what it's like to go through it, and you can also tell him what it's like at the end of the rainbow when you do become a world champion and you feel it and especially in new york and if you ask about I, this didn't come up this time but i guess i've spoken to him a bunch of times he'll be the first to tell you you know he, he mentioned he came over here after one of the roughest seasons he'd had in the bigs he was expecting to be backing up xavier nady and you know maybe seeing some time maybe whatever but he didn't know what it was he didn't know that he was gonna have a complete career resurgence that nady was gonna get hurt and he was gonna become this you know yankees you know fan favorite forever it just works that way sometimes and maybe it's not fair maybe it's rough to invest your whole life into a sport that can be so precarious and you know unfair but when it works man it's uh you get some pretty good memories out of it. Well, you know that's that is what that's what it's all about when you're a young kid and that's your dream. You're you're willing to put that time in and all those ups and downs, you know, to get there. And then when you get there and you do it, you go, "Wow, you know, I did it. I made it in the biggest city in one of the greatest franchise in all sports." Well, Bucky, that's another another good one we got in the books there. I, it was a day late, but I know uh, I, th- I think it was worth the wait for uh, the energy that Nick brought to this. And uh, enjoy talking to you. And look, we're going into Game Six of the World Series now, and maybe we'll get a Game Seven. That's all you can hope for, obviously, if you don't care about either of the teams. And 
you know, then it, then it's a long, cold winter. Maybe not so much for you in your house in Florida, but certainly for me here in New, in New Jersey. <laughs> well, I'm I'm hoping for a game seven. You know, I I, I picked a raise, and uh, you know, I like the way they play, and um, I, I'm hoping it goes to a game seven. That'll be fun. Well, thanks so much, Bucky, and I can't wait to speak to you in uh, two weeks. Talk to you in a couple more weeks, pal. And to all of our listeners, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Deep to Left with Bucky Dent. Before you go, I want to tell you more about the Yankees Magazine Podcast Network. If you liked hearing from Bucky today, you should also check out the Yankees Magazine Podcast, where we break down some of our written stories from each new magazine and, of course, talk Yankees baseball. If you're not subscribed, what are you waiting for? We're available wherever you listen to your podcasts or at yankees.com slash podcast. Leave us a review, leave us a rating, it really helps. You can even send us your thoughts over email, podcast at yankees.com. And for Yankees Magazine subscribers, you should have just received this free gift from us, a copy of the 2020 official New York Yankees yearbook. We're sending it to you just to say thank you for sticking with us during a rough year. Don't worry, it does not count against your subscription, it's just a gift from us. If you would like to subscribe, you can call 800-GO-YANKS or head over to yankees.com slash publications for more information. You can also buy a back issue and maybe even buy a gift subscription for someone who's a huge fan. We're about to be launching some great holiday offers, so I urge you to check it out. Plus, if you'd like to see our content online, get a taste of it at yankees.com slash magazine. There you'll find our latest features to read from the magazine, and we're also on Twitter, at Yanks Magazine. Give us a follow and be up to date with every podcast and magazine we produce. That's it. See you next time. Go Yanks! Hi, this is Aaron Hicks. For more stories like this one, subscribe by visiting yankees.com slash publications or by calling 800-GO-YANKS. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.